Hello and welcome to the Carlina Show. I'm your host, Carlina Angwin, and today is Saturday, June 2nd, 2018. And today on the show, I have a good friend of mine, Tom Botkin. And um, the, the topic today, um, well, just to give you a little uh, overview of the program, we uh, interview ordinary uh, or ordinary people tell their hero's journey. And so um, Tom has a really um, inspiring journey to share with us today. And the topic um, of this conversation is recovery. Um, so I'll let Tom just go ahead and kind of bring you up to speed um, and share kind of an overview of his life in maybe like five minutes or less. Can you do that? <laughs> I think so. Okay. So what do people need to know about you just to kind of, you know, bring them up to speed? Well, I am uh, be 50 years old this year. Um, and I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, pretty average middle class family. Uh, not a lot of trauma and or drama. So a uh, pretty good childhood. Um, and I uh, went to private schools and uh, after high school uh, I joined the army and spent three years in Germany um, and that was a good experience uh, and on the GI Bill I came back to Chattanooga and started college uh, I got interested in anthropology in college, uh, specifically forensic anthropology, and then got in, got accepted to uh, the master's program in anthropology at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville to study forensic anthropology under the world-renowned forensic anthropologist Bill Bass at the who uh, started the so-called body farm. Um, so yes, I studied under Bill Bass for several years and received my master's in 1995. Uh, then I came to work for the medical examiner office in Hamilton County, that's the county for Chattanooga, um, in 1997 and remained in that position as assistant to the county medical examiner for ten and a half years until the end of 2007. Um, Can you tell us just just a little bit about what you did as a medical examiner? Well, uh, primarily death investigation, uh, autopsies, um, like I actually did the autopsies with the doctor, I took the organs out, photography, x-ray, uh, sometimes go to scenes, uh, but if it was an anthropology case, um, those were my favorite, uh, specifically cases where people are unidentifiable, so they're skeletonized or decomposed or burned beyond recognition or just disfigured in accidents and you, you don't, no one knows who they are. They, so uh, anthropology techniques determine the age, sex, race, height, and other individual characteristics about an individual from their skeletal remains. Um, and, and you did that for 10 years? Uh-huh, yep. Wow. And so 
to to say where we're kind of going with this whole recovery topic um you know i uh grew up um you know partying in high school like any other kid you know um my first experiments with you know cigarettes or marijuana or drinking something like that and then um in the army uh that was a big uh um, leisure time activity is drinking and um, so I s learned how to deal with stress and anxiety through uh, chemical means which of course in this forensic career that I was in um, it became an unhealthy coping mechanism um, I didn't realize how much I coped with that job uh, that with alcohol and drugs um, and, and I, uh, had a divorce at the time and my anxiety just was through the roof and, um, the doctor put me on prescription, anti-anxiety drugs, uh, you know, benzos and, and, and people think, um, you know, that just because a doctor writes a prescription for something and that you're on it legitimately because it comes from the doctor and the pharmacy that they're not addicts and that's totally not true at all um, you're addicted to a drug when you physically need that drug um, when the withdrawal symptoms are painful um, when you can't make it through a day without it you're addicted to the drug and I don't care if you bought it from a doctor or from a street dealer um, so I had some unhealthy coping mechanisms and um, uh, I ended up uh, getting remarried um, and that second marriage uh, also came to an end um, also to my addiction and uh, so I realized that um, I well, with the marriage failing, I, I was going to do whatever I needed to do to try and fix the marriage, which uh, included going to treatment. So I went to a treatment center uh, here in Chattanooga, and um, that began a, a journey. I didn't realize it was a journey that was beginning. Um, I just thought I was trying to save a marriage. Uh, it, the marriage continued to deteriorate, but something clicked with me after you know, using, uh, you know, drinking or, or other substances for 20 years or so, um, that, that I was exhausted with doing this. I would, there was, I was tired. I was just exhausted of that lifestyle, high powered career, dealing with that career and all of that. And, um, and so um, the, the, something clicked in treatment and from that point forward, I just wanted to stay clean. And I, the marriage, I lost the marriage anyway, but that didn't matter to me. All that mattered from that point forward was staying clean. And, um, and I ended up giving up. I worked in the forensic career for another 10 and a half, I'm sorry. 15 months and uh, realized, you know, God, how much I dealt with that career when I didn't have the substances. I was still trying to deal with that. And it was 
uh, stressful. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't want to work in that career anymore and um, ended up leaving that that job going on a little hero's journey as a part uh, on a, a, a I backpacked around Hawaii for a month trying to decide of whether I wanted to actually leave that job or not I took some medical leave first and then um, as a result of this isolation in the middle of the Pacific uh, in the remote parts of Hawaii um, I was able to hear and be in there clean uh, I was able to hear a little voice that said, you know what, you're going to be okay without this career. You'd spent all this time in college, got all these degrees, you prepared a lot for that career, you had a lot invested in that career, um, you know, but when it comes to saving your, your, your spiritual self, um, None of those things matter, and I needed to do what I needed to do to save that spiritual self first, and then build a life on top of that. So uh, I came back from Hawaii, and I left that um, career, and shortly thereafter started a new career in the private sector um, for a while, for the next five years, five years actually. And I uh, didn't didn't think it'd be that long, but um, that's what I needed to do. And, and during that part of the journey, uh, I became um, during my off hours and weekend hours uh, became a registered yoga instructor. I started pursuing yoga and, and as a means of dealing with stress and anxiety. Because I was I wanted to any I was open to any way of dealing with stress and anxiety that did not include chemical means so uh, when somebody said if you hey have you ever had a yoga class before I said no but I'm willing to try it uh, anything that didn't involve getting drunk or high so um, I um, yeah I, I pursued this yoga thing uh, and did two different teacher trainings over about two years and actually I'm a registered 500-hour yoga instructor in Yoga Alliance um, and taught yoga for a while. Uh, um, I just learned through that experience you can't pay bills on teaching yoga. So, <laughs> um, But I did learn what I needed to learn in that journey and that was how to control my anxiety and stress um, and also I learned a lot of self-awareness, uh, a lot of self-awareness, and that that helps me with my relationships uh, with other people, with coworkers. Um, I think it's just it's very important. Basically, I just learned to slow down in life. I don't need to be a superhuman that can accomplish thirty-five things in one day every day. Um, you know, and I, I could do that when I was operating under with, with superhuman chemicals and and uh, you know could do things like that on but I, I just can't do that and feel good about my spirit at the same time so what do you do now so yeah after the um, after the several six years in the private sector I came back to work for um, 
the Hamilton County government that I worked for in the forensic career, only this time at the health department. And um, so at the, and currently at the health department, I'm the public information officer, uh, which does all the external communications, media relations, uh, social media, press releases, website, things like that. So mm -hmm. if you see anything in, in the media about the health department, it probably came over my desk. If you live in Chattanooga. And you live in Chattanooga. Or you could live anywhere in the world, you might see it these That's days. That's true, yes. This it's, is an international uh, podcast, so we have listeners in the Ukraine and... Um, yes, how about that? And Ireland. The Carlina Show is taking That's it off. So, far. so yes, um, okay. So, um, you also... You just completed a half Ironman. Yeah, well, so I've been in recovery now for about... Well, for on in fact, in three days is my 12-year anniversary clean and sober. Well, congratulations. Um, thank you. And, um, uh, you know, I'm very involved in 12-step in program and uh, specifically Narcotics Anonymous. And um, um, that that's a, it plays a huge role in my life. And uh, it's, it's the basis for keeping me clean. Well, in that fellowship, um, uh, couple of guys last year um, uh, my friend uh, Will and my friends Will and Nick completed the full Ironman and a lot of us were really inspired by that the full Ironman happens here in Chattanooga in September and so uh, several of us gotten inspired by that and we wanted to um, do it as a group do the half Ironman Ironman 70.3 uh, this past May and so last October, um, we embarked uh, on a journey of uh, preparing for the Ironman 70.3 in May. And it was, so, uh, it was about six months of training um, that I did uh, to prepare for that. And I was, the other three guys on my team are much younger than me. And um, so as a 50-year-old, I was a little intimidated that I might, may or may not be able to even survive the training for this, uh, much less the event. So, uh, but as it turns out, um, the, the training uh, went well. I was prepared. Uh, the event came, and I, my goal was uh, to do it in six and a half hours, and I did it in six hours and 23 minutes. So, now, I guess the... Um, you know the 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 inspirational part i think maybe hopefully to other people is you know you're talking you're listening to a guy right now who was a daily cigarette smoker beer drinker pot smoker uh you know just other substances and um you know didn't didn't have any sense of commitment or discipline or um what you know all those willingness those things that it need that you need to actually complete an iron man and um you know and and so going from that to this one of the world's most one of the world's toughest endurance sports uh the triathlon um you know was a i think is it's incredible i, I sometimes i don't even think it's me <laughs> um, you know, I certainly can't take full responsibility for this. A lot of people have helped me on my journey. 
um, you know, have been a mentor to me and, and helped me stay clean. And, um, you know, when I, so I say that and I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't struggle with, you know, wanting to use today. I just, it just, it's not a struggle. Um, you know, I know it's not a good choice for me. So, so in addition to, um, to working, you also are very active in the NA community mm -hmm. and you've helped sponsor how many people would you say? Oh, I don't know. I lost track over the years because, um, you know, after you get a year, year, year or two clean, you, you really need to start sponsoring other people. And I uh, started, you know, sponsoring other men now. So I've been sponsoring other men for, um, uh, for, uh, you know, 10 years or so. And usually what happens is some ask me to sponsor them and they come around for a little bit and then they're, they just disappear. They're, I don't want to go to meetings or I don't want to reveal my life to a sponsor or I don't want to, uh, do service work or other things. Can we that, back up just for a second? And if someone were to go to an NA meeting for the first time, what, what could they expect? And then, and then at what point would they reach out to a sponsor? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're at an NA meeting, it's probably a pretty good indication that you can't really manage your life. You can't manage your usage of alcohol or drugs. So, uh, you know, you, so you need the help of the fellowship and a sponsor can help guide you through that. They're a guide through that 12 step process. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you should get a sponsor pretty quick and, you know, go to meetings for a while and just kind of get to know some of the people and you'll see people that are, that have good recovery, that go to multiple meetings that you start seeing over and over again within the first 90 days. Uh, you know, you go to a meeting every day for 90 days and, and you'll see who's working a program and who's not. And uh, just ask them to be your sponsor. Um, and, uh, you know, so some people say, well, I, I don't, I don't want to sponsor because I don't want to, it's my life, I can run it. And I'm thinking, no, you can't run it. You're at an NA meeting, obviously you can't manage your life. You know, and I guarantee you that a sponsor is not going to mess up your life any more than you already have. <laughs> so, you know, why don't you give it a try? Practice a little open-mindedness, a little willingness, um, you know, and, and, and share yourself with another person. Some people say, oh, well, I can't do that with another man. Um, well, you know, you probably need to learn how. Um, and I, I used to, you know, consider women my friends and hang out with women and that kind of thing. And, um, uh, you know, it obviously can get wrapped up in the, the, in the sexual realm there. So people won't be able to sort that out when they really need to be paying attention to their spiritual development and not their sexual relationship development. So, um, it's better if, if a man sponsors a man, but I, I sponsor a woman, she's a lesbian, but um, you know, so, uh, I don't really have a problem with that. It's not a hard and fast rule. It's just when so you start what? sharing intimate details with a sponsor, just realize that your lives can get intertwined and the lines between sponsorship and sexual relationship may become blurred. 
so tell me a little bit about how the relationship um, gets started and how frequently the sponsee is in communication with the sponsor in the beginning. Yeah, it depends. I mean, sponsorship styles vary from by every single sponsor. Um, you Just know. give me an example well, some, of one some that was successful. Yeah, some sponsors want their sponsees to call them every single day. Uh-huh. And I'm just not that way. I I tend to promote a lot of self-management. Um, you know, I'm, I am not the kind of sponsor that's available at 2 a.m. for your drama. Um, you know, it. You, you've got to self-manage yourself. you got to want this program. you got to want to stay clean. you got to want to better yourself and and develop yourself i'm not going to do that for you i'm just here to help you through that process mm-hmm. uh in the same way my sponsor helps me in that process you and still he's have got a sponsor a, i absolutely uh and he has a sponsor so that means i have a grand sponsor <laughs> um and and i uh call my sponsor you know um at least uh, every several weeks, or text him, or something like that, and um, even now. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, so it's important to maintain. I see him at meetings, so it's important to maintain that contact. You're ne- you never outgrow that. Um, the same basic steps that we tell newcomers are the same basic steps that I follow still twelve years later. They work. They're simple, proven, evidence-based steps that work. So what do you what do you say to families or someone who has a family member who's using and they want to help them get clean? What advice would you give to them? Um, I typically tell families that there's really nothing you can do except protect yourself. Um, you know, if you're that parent who's just pulling your hair out over uh, that child, you know, who's continues to get arrested. Um, my advice is leave that child, child, that, that son or daughter in the jail as long as the sentence will allow and learn to live your life and to move on and accept that that person is an adult, presumably we're talking about adults here, um, and making their own choices and that you can't control that. An addict will continue to use and destroy everyone and everything around them. Uh, including themselves, until they're ready to stop. And I'm going to stress that, until they're ready to stop. And it's not going to happen. You can, you can pray over them. You can beat them. You can lock them up. You can tie them down. You can lecture them. Um, or you can continue enabling them. And you, and you can, or you can continue to enable them. Every time you spring them out of jail... Every time you give them some money to keep their addiction going, if you don't lock up your medications and they're taking them from you, you're enabling that that addict. And the more you continue to float them along, the more they will continue to float. So you have to let them hit their bottom. And let's all just hope that that doesn't include a body bag, but it may. But you know what? You can't control that. You can't stop that. If that's going to happen, it's going to happen next week or two years from now. So how much of your life are you going to destroy waiting on them to become ready to quit? I can just tell you, I was not ready to quit. I went into treatment to um, 
fix a marriage. I didn't go into treatment thinking, oh, I've got a problem with my life. I need to fix it. That didn't become apparent until later. You know, and my experience in, in the 12-step fellowship shows some people are sent there by the courts. Well, they're not real happy to be there. A judge decided that they needed to be there. But in some of those people, you see them have an awakening. Like, you know what? I'm around all these people who are staying clean, and they're actually doing it. And I don't want to go back to jail. I don't want to go back to that life. Maybe I want to stay clean. And they catch on, and they start working the program and, and start living a life of recovery. Um, you know, so you don't, you don't have to come into it having the willingness, just a little bit of willingness or um, a little bit of open-mindedness. Um, but for me, I was exhausted with using. So if you're tired of using, if you're the one who's using and you're tired of living that life, believe me, there is another way out. The harder way to go through life is using. The easier way to go through life is clean. And is the first step, so let's say someone is using and the first, the, what is their first step? To go online and find a local NA chapter? Yeah, NA.org mm -hmm. um, has a um, listing of meetings around the world. There's probably 70,000 meetings a day around the world in country, almost every country. Um, and uh, there's, they're, they're in the Chattanooga area. There are probably, I don't know, 50-something meetings a week. Uh, most, every day of the week, there are a couple of meetings. So somewhere there's a meeting every day close by. And where are the meetings usually and it, held? And I just want to say this. If you drive halfway across town to buy dope or alcohol, then why can't you drive halfway across town or to the nearest meeting mm -hmm. and get some help? And where are the meetings usually held? Just various places, hospitals, churches, community centers, rec centers, Yeah. you know, stuff like that. Um, they, they tend to be a lot in churches, and don't get freaked out by that. Um, you know, the 12-step the, the fellowship of <clears throat> NA, Narcotics Anonymous, is is not doesn't have any kind of dogma that you have to believe um, regarding higher powers and the word usage of the word God. Um, God to a lot of people just stand, is an acronym that stands for good orderly direction. Uh, and some people mean it's an acronym that stands for group of druggies. And so <laughs> we, uh, which I like the latter one because you know we're all clean and and. Uh, and recovering addicts and we hang out and we just we do more than meetings we go backpacking we we train and run iron men uh you know we we bike bicycle we um uh eat dinner go out for dinner go out for coffee um hike to a blue hole and go swimming uh take trips to amusement parks i mean i mean we you know we do a lot together and what the goal is is to learn how to live life clean mm -hmm. that there you can have fun in this world without using without being tipsy you know i love to dance <clears throat> and some people can't dance uh unless they've had some something to drink you know and i have learned i'm the first one out on the dance floor when, when we go to a dance because i've learned 
that I don't need alcohol or drugs to loosen me up to dance. I can feel the music in my my body, and um, and and uh, I I get out there and I just start dancing. And I uh, know I don't worry about what other people think, man, because I I just do what I feel what feels yeah. good for me at that moment to dance. So, <clears throat> how long have we, have we known each other? Almost five years now. Going on five, five years. years. Mm-hmm. Five years, and I think it was a year and a half ago, maybe that you told me you were in recovery. <clears throat> yeah. So, so <clears throat> yeah. So that was the first time you told me, and um, and it seems like you're you feel a little bit more comfortable talking about it now in a public space. Well, can you I, talk about that <clears throat> a little bit? Yeah, I think that. Um, I mean. To someone who's getting clean, you know, you don't have to tell anybody about that. That's between you and whatever higher power you have and your sponsor and your friends in the fellowship. You don't have to report to work that you're trying to get clean or notify the judge or the authorities or anything. That is totally a private decision. Uh, some people could face uh, some sort of stigma um, from employers if employers knew about it. Uh, you know, um, but I mean, today, um, I mean, we all have a past. That was my past. Um, I didn't do anything uh, illegal. I, I don't have a, a legal record. I've never been, uh, you know, don't have a DUI. Um, so, uh, you know, I have two broken marriages in my past and, and other failed relationships and, uh, you know, things like that. Um, but um, you know, so the, the but there in the last several years, there has been an an awareness in our society that re- that recovery is a good thing. It is not to be stigmatized. Um, that um, people in recovery are valiant warriors. They are uh, trying. They're they're fighting a lot of battles on a lot of fronts. Um, you know, recovering addict has, it, things are just not always simple for a recovering addict when they might be just simple for average Jane or John Doe on the street. Um, and so every day that we stay clean, people in recovery stay clean is a miracle. Um, and and worth sharing. And, and it's worth sharing. And if people don't talk about the fact that they're in recovery and they hide that, they, you know, um, they, they keep that secret, then other people around them, first of all, don't know that anyone else is in recovery. They think everybody in the world around them is hanging out at, you know, bars and after work and, and you know, smoking pot. And, you know, and just because states are legalizing that stuff doesn't make it good for your person I you know doesn't work for me I, whether it's legal or not legal alcohol is legal it doesn't work for me either um, so um, so we don't I, so I feel like I can talk more about it now because people are not stigmatizing the recovering addict like they used to um they're appreciating more and and in the face of our nationwide opiate epidemic right now um 
you know, we've got to start coming out about this. That gets back to that statement I said earlier that just that when I said just because a doctor prescribes you a drug doesn't mean that you're not an addict. So people who have prescription opiates for whatever um, are still addicted. They're, they're addicts, um, you know, and they can't get by without the drug and they'll suffer significant withdrawals to go without the drug. But, you, you, um, you know, I don't know if they need to be on that or not. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that don't hide behind the prescription form that your doc doctor gives you. See, yeah. opiates, opiates fix more than just physical pain. Suddenly, that knee replacement or that, that back surgery that you're taking it for, you suddenly realize that the opiate fixes your spiritual pain, your emotional pain, your psychological pain. Uh, it fixes a lot of pain, and that, that's what leads to um, people's continued dependence on it long after the surgery's healed. So, what's next for you? What's... Uh... What do you see in your future? Yeah, well, um, another triathlon this month. <laughs> Not quite as long as the Ironman, um, but the Chattanooga Waterfront Triathlon. Um, and I, I love the feeling of being in shape. Um, you know, studies are, show that, that physical activity is a preventive factor against, you know, more than a dozen types of cancers, um, against heart disease. Uh, those are the two top two things that kill people at my age. Um, and uh, it also uh, has uh, prevent, preventive factors against Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, you know, so I want to be active. I want to be active. I want to be, uh, you know, I don't really care about the competitive part of it. Um, just finishing an Ironman is a miracle. So, um, you know, it's been... Uh, you know, that's that's a journey that I want to continue. Uh, maybe the maybe the full Iron Man in September. I don't know. Let's revisit <laughs> that. September's just around the corner. It seems like it. Yeah, uh, but I'm in great shape right now. The best shape I've been in probably uh, since the Army. And um, and um, well, cool. You know, so I want to keep that up. I, I really enjoy my my career. Um, and uh, but I recognize also and today, your coworkers and my coworkers for sure. Uh, I have great coworkers, but I'll tell you one of the reasons that they're great is that I have learned to be, I have learned to have healthy relationships with people. And I, you know, yes, the other people I work with, uh, you know, they they they're good people. But I can, I know that if I'm not in a healthy relationship with myself. And I'm self-aware, and I understand my my limitations and my um, gifts, um, my assets and my liabilities. If I don't, if I'm not in touch with all of that, I can sour other relationships really quickly. I can become the bad apple at work, and uh, I've been there, and I um, I don't ever want to be that way again. So. Um, so, you know, and, and, and learning how to be in healthy relationships is a direct byproduct of my recovery and working the 12-step program, learning how to live by spiritual principles. And I, I need to say that I'm an atheist. Uh, I don't have any um, belief in some kind of supernatural uh, being. Um, and so 
uh, I, I, I don't attribute my being clean to um, a power that's uh, out there somewhere that helps me get jobs or find my keys or things like that. Um, I, uh, I have put a lot of effort into working this program and gotten a lot of feedback from other people who themselves are clean and sane and, and are able to you know, give constructive feedback. Um, you know, and I've learned to listen to people. I'm not perfect all the time, and other people say, you know, your behavior is not quite in line right now, you know, and, and uh, so I've learned to let my ego down and say, okay, maybe what am I doing right now that, that might be annoying to people? So, uh, you know, it's all, that's something I want to continue, not only my physical development, but my spiritual development, uh, development of myself, and um, those, as I say spiritual, that just, you know, that means my those moral principle and ethical values of being a human being in society. Uh, so I don't mean spiritual like a religious way because I'm not religious. Um, so there's there's a lot of development. Just because you're 50 years old doesn't mean that, you know, that an old dog can't learn new tricks. Well, I have to tell you, um, when you ran the Ironman a couple weekends ago, we my nieces and I came downtown to watch you. and um, I appreciate we were, that. Yeah. And um, we were at the, I guess it was the bike running transition station. So we saw you, we got to see you come in on the bike and then, um, and then pass us a couple times running. And, um, and so I found that really inspiring. And so I'm not a runner, um, but... Uh, You're just, becoming one. Well, yeah. So I've, I guess the past two weeks or so I've run... Mm, maybe one mile and then I would walk like another mile or so. And I've done that about maybe five times since the Ironman. So that's been inspirational to me. And I do feel a lot better when, when I run. So I hope to, um, you know, pick up the distance a little bit and get past one mile eventually. <laughs> and you will, you will. And so the spiritual principles that, that play into that are uh, commitment, perseverance, steadfastness, willingness, courage you know th those are the things that get you through a run yeah not not the physiology of your body yeah that takes you to a point mm -hmm. that really is about what takes gets you past the starting line mm -hmm. but at some point in every run especially a long distance endurance event it comes down to those those principles, those values, the courage, the determination, those are the things that get you through. And I've learned it's not just the race. Those are the things that get you through life. Mm -hmm. They get yeah. you through a career. I have seen people with a lot of initials in degrees after their name mm -hmm. be escorted off job sites because they're unable to get along with people and practice those, those yeah. principles and values. So, you know, you, you can get all the degrees in college and, and, and whatever you want, but if you can't get along with people, mm -hmm. uh, if you're not continually developing that, your relationship skills, um, which a lot of people use alcohol and drugs to hide behind or to smooth that out, social lubricant, um, you know, then, uh, you know, you, you have a rough, you have a rough existence ahead of you if you're not... If you yeah. can't get along with other people, so, um, so you know, I I I love that you're uh, running, and I, I hope you um, continue to develop that. You you don't have to do an Ironman, but 
taking care of your body and, and I won't do an iron I can't swim so really <laughs> hey I, well I need to say that I couldn't swim prior to last fall either really? I mean I could you know I could jump off the diving board and 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 swim over to the side of the pool and do yeah. it again <laughs> I could go to a blue hole and splash around and jump off the rock and swim back and do it again or mm -hmm. but um, swimming 1.2 miles in the Tennessee River in open water uh, with other people around you trying to do the same thing was a totally different skill yeah and um, I I recognized when I signed up for that Ironman that the swimming was my liability and that I I could not do that not efficiently over a long distance so I hired a coach um, that uh, I had a couple of lessons with and then I, that really didn't work out because I just didn't quite click with that coach and that's okay I got a different coach and that second coach and I will say her name it's Monique Patel and she's a doctor of physical therapy here in, in town and uh, if you need if you're a triathlete a budding triathlete like me give her a call she would love to help you uh, with her swimming um, and she's a great teacher because she just said one thing at a time one each week we just worked on one thing and that's very simple for you know somebody like me I need to keep it simple and so uh, and I and I I struggled I struggled with all of the breathing and, and the stroke and everything for months in the pool over the winter at the YMCA. Um, and then several months into it, it just clicked. And then I started incre uh, increasing my distance. Um, and I started doing 35 laps, uh, 40 laps, and 50 laps. Finally, the uh, weather changed here and the river warmed up and I was able to get out and swim in the river and was swimming almost a mile um, in, in the water in the river. And, um, and so that, you know, and then the event came and the one point, did the 1.2 mile swim in a little over 37 minutes. And so you're talking about a guy who didn't even really know how to swim prior to seven, six, seven months ago. Wow. And I did a 1.2 mile swim. So, yeah. you know, you talk about the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. <laughs> um, and, you know, it depends on what I have a bunch of little journeys within inside a journey, you know. So, yes, the whole Ironman thing right. was a journey, but just the swimming part of it. Yeah. You know, where I I had a mentor and I came back to you know, to the village as a transformed individual, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, so well, cool. it's been a journey. Well, good, Tom. This has been this has been a lot of fun, and we're coming up on the last minute here. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to give some shout-outs. So if there's anybody that you want to just mention, um, now's the time to do it. Uh, well, well, thank you for um, having me on your your inaugural uh, podcast interview. That's um, right. Um, that's awesome. I appreciate that, and yeah. I, I wish you thanks for success. coming on the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wish you success with that. Um, and uh, if you uh, and you know the guys I trained with, um, Will Jones and Nick Ross and Philip Collier and. 
um, Jason um, Souls, you know, actually Nick uh, didn't participate with us, but he was uh, one of the ones that did the full Ironman last fall, and he was very motivating and uh, helped get me on my journey along with Will. So those guys, they really helped me out. And, um, and then, um, you know, all the people that came out that day, my little girl, Gracie, and her mom, Jaris, and, and her boyfriend, um, Robert, you know, they came out to cheer me on, and you, and some other coworkers, Kathy, you know. I mean, I tell you, in a, a grueling endurance sport like that, you just can't do it without all the people, even the anonymous people you pass who are ringing cowbells and, <laughs> and, and blowing horns and throwing confetti and just clapping and cheering you on. And, and uh, it's a, the whole event is a living entity along the way that includes not only the participants, but the people on the sidelines watching it. Um, you know, so, I, you know, there are just numerous people that have helped me to get to where I'm at today. And um, uh, we'd be a whole other podcast trying to thank them all. So. Okay. Uh, I just the, the important thing is is just to understand for anyone who wants to get into recovery, wants to give up that lifestyle, is you don't have to do it alone. You will develop a list of people that you too can thank, uh, and you can't do it alone. You know, and look where your life's gotten you now, trying to do it all alone. Um, so, you know, learn to trust other people. Learn to weave and integrate your life with other people and um and don't be afraid of that so well i think that's a a good place to to end and so thank you for coming on the show this has been this has been really good so thank you all Thanks right for having me. i'll see you monday morning <laughs> yes i'll see you at work okay